Would you pray with me? Would you continue to pray with me? Father, we, we take this moment and we continue to lift up not only our time right now together, but I want to lift up this nation. There are many viruses that are going around. The coronavirus, COVID-19, the virus of racism, the virus of misplaced allegiance that polarizes us, the violence of even sexism in every ism that we can think of. And Father, those who we hoped would bring us together and bring peace and leading in a healthy way, many of them have been the ones that have exacerbated the issues through their rhetoric. And as we go through this transition as a nation, we don't look at Biden as a messiah, as a savior of any kind, but we see him as an alternative to where we've been. As he's been elected, he's been voted the next president. So Father, we ask for wisdom for he, his administration, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris as well. We ask for your wisdom upon them, O oh God, even as they prepare right now for your wisdom. We ask for health. In the same way that we've prayed for this previous administration, this, this current administration, we pray for the incoming administration. God, we need healing in so many ways. We don't need a Band-Aid. We need deep healing. One that gets to the, 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 infection deep underneath the skin and brings out the ugly so that we can address it and deal with them. Father, I pray that moving forward as we see these numbers climb, that we, we, we take this seriously, that we don't dismiss and in the process dishonor those who have lost their lives to COVID-related issues those who don't have the same access to, to health care, those with underlying issues, those on the front lines who are battling and, and trying to save lives every day, may we not dishonor them by dismissing this issue. I pray that you convict us collectively as a nation to take it seriously, even those who haven't. So, Father, we just give thanks, we honor you, we exalt you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. A political God is where I'm going today. A political God. God, the Bible, Jesus, They've all been co-opted and used as political pawns in a politicized in politicized agendas, either bending left or right. And when I use the, the term politicized, I mean it, it means to give something the character of politics. And let me clarify something. When I say that, when I say, when I give a, a disclaimer and I say I'm not trying to, to be political here, 
let me share with you what I mean by that. I'm not trying to make a statement that aligns with either right or left, conservative or democratic. I'm not trying to, to, to make a statement that justifies either bent when I say I'm not being political. Um, I want to make that clear because we're gonna, I'm going to make the argument that Jesus is political. But in a cultural connotation, in a cultural understanding of what it means to politicize or to be political, it really means to, to align yourself with one party or the other. Like you have an agenda, a political agenda. You have an agenda that's not political in the sense that it just addresses the public. It addresses the way uh, the, 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 we're governed, laws and policies, things of that nature. But when we say that, we're talking about how people make something political. Is They're making a statement either left or right, blue or red. For instance, this whole COVID-19 issue, and even more specifically, the wearing of a mask. And you've heard me say that the, the mask is not political. It's been politicized. What do I mean by that? It means w when, when someone wears a mask, we're making it seem like they're only wearing it because they're trying to make a political statement that lines with the left. When someone doesn't wear the mask, they're making a political statement that aligns with the right. That's what I mean by politicizing or making something political, to use it as a tool for political expediency, to justify things. So while Jesus has been politicized for the wrong reasons, he is political for the right reasons. This means that God is public, not private. God is concerned about policies, not disinterested. God is mindful of the governance of a city, a nation, and the world, not oblivious. Jesus is political. The idea behind the evangelical mantra or the sacred message of exclusively being about personal salvation, personal holiness, and personal discipleship, while, this is a, uh, while the personal is imperative, it's only a fraction of what, what and who God has called us to be. We too must be political. We must have an understanding of what happens in the public square among those who write and enforce the laws of the land. Jesus addresses spiritual concerns as well as concrete material concerns for people. Why? Because Jesus is political. When Jesus makes a statement, the kingdom is at hand, I want you to think about in the context that he's making the statement, and also in the context that the author who wrote that years later is making that statement. The kingdom is at hand. Matthew 3 verse 2, Matthew 4 17, Mark 1 15. The kingdom is at hand. This is not saying, this is not about proximity in terms of distance. The kingdom is coming, it's near. No, he's saying the kingdom is, is here now. It's present now think about making that statement when you're living in a Roman-occupied land where Caesar is not only emperor, but also deified. There is no other ruler. There is no other king. There is no other kingdom but the Roman kingdom. So when he makes that statement, he is being explicitly political.
There's, there's no hiding that. When Paul writes about it, they're being, they're, they're, it's, it's political language. The Ten Commandments is political. It's not just your private instructions on how you're supposed to live. The, the first four are about worship, but the last six are social. They're, they're, it, it governs, the, those, those commandments are there to govern how the people ought to live with each other, how they ought to treat each other. It is inherently political. How, how do you foster shalom, the well-being of the community? It's not just for you personally, for your personal discipleship. It's for the people. And how does the community foster shalom? How do we all do well? Jesus' life began and ended in response to political actions. Remember when Herod made the statement to kill all the babies under a certain age? That was a decree from the from the king. Jesus became a refugee. When, they, when, it, when Mary and Joseph, when they had to leave to protect, it was self-preservation. But then at the very end, when Jesus was falsely accused and eventually executed, and he had to stand, he had to come before Pilate. And he makes a statement even there where he says, you would not have authority unless the, my father gave it to you. I'm paraphrasing a bit. And he ended up on the cross. That is a, a response to political action. And one could even argue that the cross itself is political. To love your neighbor and your enemy, by the way, is a public endeavor. It requires exercising goodwill towards them and also standing with them in solidarity. To love your neighbor is to wear a mask. It's not political, but it is political because it helps to stop the spread on what's happening in, in, in the community. It's also a response to uh, government mandates to socially distance and less people meeting in, in restaurants and wearing a mask in public spaces. It's also how you stand and support and argue for petition for, even protest for, laws, changes in laws and policies that affect those who are marginalized. That's also loving your neighbor. Martin Luther King says, justice is what love looks like in public. So when you fight for justice, when you argue for justice, when you push for justice, that is loving your neighbor. When you write your senator or your, your congressman to change laws, when you vote, that is loving your neighbor. Luke 4, 18 through 19 is a political mission too. Not just Jesus' personal mission, it too is political. Remember, the kingdom is a present reality. It's not just an abstract spiritual statement. So when Jesus talks about good news to the poor, he's, he's re referencing those with, 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 uh, in poverty, the socioeconomic conditions he's addressing. When he talks about the captives, he's talking about the imprisoned. Both, you can make the argument it's a spiritual statement, but also a literal statement. The captives to, to be set free. The imprisoned. When he talks about the blind, he's not just talking about the spiritually blind. 
He's also, because and the reason why we know this is because he came to do, he made phys, he physically healed people. He physically healed the blind. So he's talking about the disabled, another marginalized group among us, the oppressed, the marginalized and disenfranchised. And then he talks about the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, when debts are waived and everyone gets a reset. That's unheard of. That's unheard of. Can we have a policy? I got some, some stuff on my credit, as a matter of fact. Now that we're thinking about it, can we have a policy that, 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 that in seven years we can get this stuff erased? <laughs> That's a whole nother term. That's another sermon. It's another sermon. When Jesus addressed the Pharisees, he was addressing the leaders of the institution that was heavily grounded in traditions of humans rather than the essence of God's laws. They knew the law by the letter, but they were missing the spirit of the law, the essence of the law. That's why Jesus had to keep re reminding them, love God and love your neighbor. They were missing the essence of the law. That's not private. That's in the public space. That's social. That, that, that addresses laws and policies and practices and culture. Jesus was, is, Political. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 10, 1 through 2, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah chapter 10. One of my favorite verses. We, 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 we needn't go beyond this verse to understand that God is political. God is concerned about the laws and the policies and practices. It says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. Verse 2, to turn aside, here's the purpose of why they're doing that, to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. He says, woe to those. We, we think about the book of Isaiah being a prophetic book that emphasizes the righteousness of God. The attitudes and actions of Israel and ultimately us today are held up in light of God's righteousness. And although we won't ever meet God's righteousness perfectly as we all fall short of the glory, we must still live, in a, live a life in pursuit of that witness. So we should be living a life in pursuit of Isaiah 10, 1 and 2. We must live as if we desire to reflect God's righteousness, not selectively, but as it permeates our being, touches every aspect of our lives, permeates the whole of our community. Isaiah also reveals the compassion and mercy of God. So in this, in this one, in these two verses, you see a rebuke of the leadership because of the compassion God has for the marginalized. In the same passage, he says, so, so he calls out the leaders of Israel for writing injustice into policies and laws. He says, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. What is a decree? To, or to, to make a decree is to inscribe, to engrave, to write as in the law. So you might, you might get a presidential order. It's a decree. You might get court decisions. Supreme Court decisions. And I heard, either, I heard either today or last night that the Supreme Court rarely 
sees cases that will only have abstract impact. When they when they see a case, it's because it's going to have con it's going to have concrete implications on our lives. Like it's going to affect us directly. So when those laws get written because of a Supreme Court either or either shot down or reaffirmed, affirmed, it's going to have a concrete effect on our lives. And he says, "Woe to those who are decreeing unjust." wicked decrees, wicked laws. So apparently that's what was going on. I want you to think about our history in this country. We've had to fight to get just laws. Those in power write the laws. Usually it benefits those in power, like say for instance taxes. And to get relief for, for the rest of us, there has to be people advocating on our behalf to, to change unjust laws, unfair laws. I mean, we can go back to whether it's slavery. We can go back to um, the, the treatment of indigenous people. We can go back to the Chinese Exclusion Act. We can go back to uh, Jim Crow segregation. All those laws were unjust. That's why I always challenge people when they say, we, we, this is a great nation. Tell me what era this was a great nation when there were laws and policies that have long impacted people's lives, whole communities' lives, racial profiling, stop and frisk. They affect people's lives. The criminal justice system is, is unjust and unfair. There are disparities along racial lines. He says, woe to those. And that word woe, uh, when, when God uses woe in Scripture, it's either... God is lamenting or God is admonishing. This is not lament. This is admonishment. If you look at, listen to the context, listen to the flow of the text. It's a warning to those in positions of writing the laws and policies that negatively impact people's lives and produce the conditions that people live in or live through. And that's what we have to remember. This is not just about affecting my life personally. It's about it affecting the conditions of communities. Conditions are often shaped by the laws and policies and practices that come from the top. And he says, you're writing oppression. You keep writing oppression. You keep bringing a burden upon people undue or cruel restraints upon them that cause adverse conditions and anxiety and stress. Do you know that if we look at the structures in our society, that not only do they affect economically, not only do they affect the psyche of the people who live through certain conditions, but they also affect the health conditions. A lot of underlying health issues are because of living in certain social conditions. Well, what produced the social conditions? I believe I've never heard anyone preach on this on this verse to this day. I've never heard a sermon, and I've preached on it probably three times. Aside from me preaching here, I've never heard a sermon where a pastor is preaching on this text because it forces us to have to examine 
the conditions that have been produced by the laws, the disparities that have been uh, produced and exacerbated by laws and policies. And God is engaging in this. And he says in verse 2 that you're, 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 he says, to turn aside the needy from justice, to rob the poor of my people of their right, their widows may be their spoil, that widows may be their spoil, and that they may make the fatherless their prey. So he's speaking on behalf of the vulnerable in the community, the vulnerable among them. And he says, you're producing injustice and you're depriving rights. In other words, there's a moral perversion of those in power that create or perpetuate injustices upon the marginalized. Jesus is political. God is political. The question is, are you political? I'm not saying political in the sense of having some agenda left or right. But I'm talking about political in the way that God is. If it's, it's a moral issue, if it's a social issue, you must be political. You have no choice. Matthew 25, really quick. Matthew 25. Laura read it at the beginning of the service. I want to come back to this and I want to read through this. I'm going to read through most of this passage from 31 to 46. I'm going to read the whole passage. I want you to hear these words and I want you to put it in the context of what it means to be political. Verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So we're talking about an end times eschatological um, passage here, context. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So Jesus is identifying with the vulnerable and the marginalized in the community. And so when he says, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. It, it very well could be the personal actions of, an, of someone. If you fed me, you, if you fed them, you fed me. If you donated your clothes and you gave someone the clothes off your back, you clothed me. And so on and so on. But also, if you stood for, petitioned for, against, 
protested against, advocated for, brought attention to the laws and policies that were spoken about in Isaiah 10 that were causing the conditions in the first place. You were also feeding and giving water and welcoming the stranger and clothing the naked and visiting the sick and the, and the inmates. Are you following me? It's not just what you do in your personal life. That's what I mean by the evangelical message. This is compassion ministry. No, this is also about justice. There's more ways to do this. As we say, there's more, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Sorry for you cat lovers out there. Because you can also do it, you can also love and you can do this indirectly by your activism. Now, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you as you did it, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let me clarify something. He's not saying because you didn't do it one time. Because you missed that one time. He's saying those who you did not live a life of this, you did not care about these people. You did not attend to these people. That is not a reflection of someone who's truly, genuinely in relationship with Jesus. That's why he's saying you will end up in this eternal fire, if you will, separated from God. Because you lived a life that was not according to the will of God. You lived a life that was not a reflection of someone who has the Spirit of God in them, someone who is in relationship with Jesus, someone who is a disciple, and a disciple does what they see their master doing, their instructor, their teacher doing. That's a reflection of God, a reflection of Jesus. So whether it's done by personal actions, maybe you didn't feed someone, or maybe you didn't care to get engaged politically. Maybe you didn't, it didn't bother you enough to get involved in a protest. Maybe you weren't a voice or you weren't part of a voice that signed a petition that wrote your congressman or congresswoman. Maybe you voted for someone that actually writes the laws, whether it be president or, or, or local, govern, uh, local uh, offices. Maybe you voted for people that benefited you personally, but their policies actually cause these conditions they don't help these conditions. They don't address these conditions. Maybe you voted for that person. That also is, you did not do it to my brother, so you did not do it to me. Either way, the question is, how do I contribute to the marginalization of others to their detriment? 
Because when I do that, I contribute to the marginalization and the detriment of Jesus. So whether I feed someone or I vote for someone, I'm either part of the problem or the solution. Why? Because Jesus is political. So I close with these thoughts. The only reason Jesus did not resist the arrests, the beatings, the charges in front of Pilate was because he had been resigned to the fact that this was God's will. Had it not been God's will, he would not have been executed at that time. It was not meant for all people in all times to not resist unjust laws and false accusations and arrest and be figuratively or literally executed. If it weren't for the social movements today, trust me, I would not be preaching to you. I would be a slave. Because in the late 1600s, it was intended that those of African descent be enslaved in perpetuity. Understand this. If it were not for abolitionists and people give credit to Abraham Lincoln, yes, he wrote the proclamation, uh, Emancipation Proclamation. He signed it. Uh, not to write it, but he signed it. He freed the slaves, yes. But he had no intentions of seeing people of African descent as equal to white people. This was political. This was to, this was to cripple the South because the South depended on slave labor. If it were not for social movements, I would not be able to interact with you all in the same room, some of you. So we have to resist unjust laws. We have to push back against unjust laws. We have to bring Isaiah 10, 1 and 2 to the forefront. We have to. And we can say the same thing about women. Women would not be able to vote if, if people weren't fighting unjust laws. So think about it. 150 million people voted, give or take. If women, and, and, and probably a little more than 50% were women. If women, if, if, if it weren't for social movements, there would have only been about 75 million people voting. All men Wrap your mind around that. Social movements, and I believe by the grace of God, whether Christian or not, I believe God is, was moving to bring about just laws. People in the church use that aspect of Jesus' life to call all marginalized people to acquiesce to injustice and allow it to prevail. This don't fight back, Jesus didn't say a word, Jesus allowed himself to be executed. That is a distortion of who Jesus was. Because they don't talk about Jesus turning over tables. Jesus was not an abstract idea. He was God in flesh, in time and space, and he confronted every form of evil, personal, cultural, institutional, structural, etc., in real time, not just in the heavenlies. He didn't just say, change their hearts and society will be fine. 
That's very idealistic, but it's not reality. People's hearts won't necessarily change when they are discipled in a cultural version of Christianity, an American version. The cross itself was a political statement. The resurrection was a political statement. That's why they were nervous when they found out the tomb was empty. Because what would that say about their power, Rome's power? What would it mean to the people if the tomb was protected by a guard of Roman soldiers and Jesus was not there? What does that say to the, uh, to the people about the powerlessness of the Roman Empire? In, or even the Jewish leadership for that matter. It would put the power of the empire in question. It would put the power of the Judas, Jewish leadership in question as well. Jesus was political. But most of us politicize Jesus to fit in our liberal, progressive, moderate, or conservative boxes. We pick and choose the parts of Jesus that fit us. That match. Our, and here's what we're doing. We're saying this part of Jesus and oh, oh yeah, that part of Jesus and oh yeah, and Jesus did this because it lines up with us. So we're making Jesus into our image. And then we dress him in a red or blue robe and then represent Jesus back to the people. And all the while what we're doing is worshiping ourselves. It's called idolatry. No, Jesus is supposed to shape you. You don't shape Jesus. But Jesus transcends all of those boxes. In some ways, we may get some things right. But in many other ways, we get some things wrong. I suspect there are some perspectives and witnesses of Jesus that are more accurate than most. But none are perfect representations in every way. But one thing we can be sure of is that Jesus was political. Jesus cared about the affairs of the state and the community because they impact people's lives. Do you? Do you care about the affairs of the state? Do you care about the laws and policies? Or do you only care that you're saved and you got somebody else saved? You took them to church. And really, you didn't even get them saved. You just took them to church. And the preacher did the work. So stop, stop getting credit there. Do you care? Does each of you care and engage in the way that Jesus did? And guess what? Your silence does not immunize you. Your disengagement by not voting or doing the necessary work to figure out who should vote, who you should vote for, beyond blindly voting your party, does not absolve you from being part of the problem. Not feeling the effects of structural injustices does not mean they do not exist. Just because laws and policies and social conditions and social structures don't touch your life does not mean it doesn't exist. It simply means that's an area of privilege for you. And privilege does not mean necessarily, it doesn't just mean everything was, some things were given to you. Everything was given to you. Sometimes privilege is what you're insulated from, what you don't have to deal with. 
And everyone has privilege on some, to some degree. And some people have more privilege than others. Why? Not because you're so good. Because our society was set up that way. And so just because injustices don't touch your life doesn't mean it's not a reality. They're not a reality. Jesus felt all of it. He was the Messiah. He was God in flesh. And yet he said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. You do to me. Do you see yourself in the marginalized, in the disenfranchised, in the vulnerable? Do you see yourself? Can, you, can anybody write their congressman or woman and say, what, what, what's affecting the homeless is affecting me? I don't ever want to lose that. I don't ever want to lose this feeling I have when I drive down L.A. and I grieve because of what I see. The neighborhood I used to live in in West L.A. is, is still the neighborhood, but there are under those, some of those passages and alongside the sidewalk, the homeless. It is incredible. It is overwhelming. And you can try to blind your eyes, but it's still going to be there. Jesus felt it all. How do I know? Because he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me.